We are going to continue in our study of the book of Exodus, and we're going to cover a couple chapters this morning. So we're going to be covering 16 and 17, and we're going to be hitting particular verses out of these. So the children of Israel have been brought out of their captivity in Egypt, and they find themselves in like a wilderness situation. All right, they find themselves in a place that is a wilderness that they have been led there by God to be in this place. Now, I, I kind of want to tell you a, a really quick story that, that's going to tie back into this, but about my life and kind of a situation that really served as a, a bit of an awakening for me from a spiritual standpoint. I, uh, several years ago, I was flying out to the West Coast. So I went from Columbus to San Francisco. And I'm not scared of flying, but I'm not a fan of it either. I don't do it that often. I don't get terribly sick or nervous or upset beforehand, but I can't say that flying is one of my favorite things to do. So this was a red-eye flight, basically. Uh, and it wasn't quite full. You know, the flight wasn't full, but there were several people that were on this flight as well. And so we take off and we get into this. It's a five, five and a half hour flight. And uh, they, they begin to get us settled in, you know, for the flight. With it being red eye, they're offering us blankets, earplugs. We got the monitors with the TV, stuff like that. So everybody's kind of settling in. All the lights are going off. And then guess what we hit? Turbulence. Anybody ever been in a bad, turbulent airplane before? Like, yeah, it's unsettling, right? right? Okay, so I'm not the only one. Well, this turbulence lasted the majority of the flight. And I'm, I'm, I'm kind of freaking out. I'm not going to lie to you. At first, I'm like, oh, it's a little pocket of turbulence. And then about three hours into it, I'm like, this is a big pocket. Like, this is a really big pocket. And I'm starting to go, okay, we got to do something here. Something has to happen. I've got to do something because I'm sitting there and I'm like freaking out. And all I'm doing is trying to watch TV, but then I kept flipping back over you on the little monitor you got there that shows you your little airplane. Anybody ever seen that? Like you've got your destination on it and it zooms in and out and you're just like, you don't get there any quicker, but at least you can see where you're going to go down and die whenever this turbulence hits you, right? You're going to know where to, okay, well, this is it right here. But I'm sitting there, and my anxiety is growing and growing and growing. I'm like, something. we need to do something. And I look around, everybody else, like everybody else I can see on the flights, either asleep or they're just chilling, man. And I'm like, what is wrong with you people? Don't you know we're about to die here? Like, I don't know if this thing's really going to serve as a flotation device, but I got a feeling we're going to find out. And then it began to dawn on me. It's like, we didn't have a problem. I had a problem. And the problem that I had is I had zero control over a situation. And this situation that nobody else had a problem with, I was having a heavy, heavy, heavy issue with. I don't know what I would have done, but I'm pretty sure that that pilot could have redirected or something. I mean, go up above it, man. But it started to sink into me that I was in a situation where I was uncomfortable and I'd lost control 
and I really didn't like it. You ever been in one of those places in your life where you're uncomfortable, you have no control over it, and we're not fans of that? And I think that we see a similar situation happening with the children of Israel in chapters 16 and 17 of Exodus because here we're coming off of God sending them out, bringing them out of Egypt through these 10 strikes, these 10 plagues, which were, and then the way they were done, there was no doubt that it was God and that they were supernatural and they proved his power. They proved his sovereignty. They proved that he was the one true God. And then they come out and they're led by this cloud by day, this pillar of cloud by day, this pillar of fire by night. And it was, it was more than just a marker to show them. You know, it was like the blue route on the GPS thing that we all follow now. It was showing them where to go, but it was not only doing that, but the cloud of the day was providing them shade in a desert land where the sun would beat down on them and would eventually be their death. It was a fire at night, which not only illuminated their path, but it gave them warmth because in this same area, the nights in this wilderness got cold. They had come to an ocean and seen it parted miraculously by the hand of God. <coughs> Excuse me. They walked across this on dry land. When they got to the other side, they saw Pharaoh's army be consumed so they had seen firsthand from the moment that Moses arrived to declare that God wanted Pharaoh to let my people go, they had seen the supernatural hand of God intercede on their behalf. Now granted, it was in a way that they wouldn't have chosen. And I think all of us in here have fallen into that category before, right? That God made a way through all of this for me, but you know what? I can't look back and go, I would have chosen that. Because the truth that we've learned so far in this study is that God has a plan. And he is always working that plan. But it may not be the way that we want it to be. It may not be the means in which we would prefer. So the Israelites, I want us to look at three things this morning. We're going to look at our response to a wilderness situation. We're going to look at God's grace in a wilderness situation. And then we're going to look at the perfect example in a wilderness situation. But I want to start and kind of end this morning with this quote from Timothy Keller. To take someone out of bondage takes an instant. To take the bondage out of the person takes a process. To free someone from oppression, captivity, and bondage, in, in especially what we see in this story, to free someone from their bondage takes a, a moment, an instant. But in order to get the bondage out of that person, it takes a process. Especially when you're living in a situation where they were not happy. But guess what? The Israelites had gotten comfortable in Egypt. They'd gotten comfortable there. They, they weren't happy about it. They didn't like it, but they were comfortable. They knew what to expect. They knew what was happening, and it was predictable. 
And then they're led out into this wilderness, so they're taken out of bondage, but this bondage mentality is still in them to where they lost control. God was leading them. They weren't leading themselves. So I want us to take a look. As we keep this quote in our mind, as we go along, I want us to take a look at our response to a wilderness situation. So Exodus chapter 16. So they've seen God do all of these miraculous things. They've seen him just wipe out almost an entire nation. And then they get to this place to where they've been completely and totally liberated. They've been freed. And now, here's their response to being in a place where they're not in control. Verse 3 to begin with. And the people of Israel said, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, even when we sat by meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then as we look into verse 13, In the evening, quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning, dew lay around the camp. And then let's fast forward to 17 verses 2 and 3. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt? To kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So they've seen all of these things, and then all of a sudden, what do they do when they get to the other side? You know, when all the events have settled down, when the miracles are, seem to be ceasing in their lives, when there's no imminent threat, when Egypt is in their rear view, when they begin to get comfortable, what do they do? They begin complaining. Oh, if we could have just lived in Egypt, at least we could have died there, and guess what? We'd have been sitting by the meat pots. At least I would have died eating. I don't know about you, there's, there's a couple times I think I'm going to do that if I don't stop eating. At least I would have died not hungry. I would have had some trace. A chicken deluxe would have been right there. And then God gives the answer, okay, all right, all right. I'm going to give him manna. And then he gives the instructions on manna. You can't gather more than one, one serving. You know, what's, what's going to do for a person a day? And then on you know, the day before the Sabbath, you're going to gather for two days because I don't want you doing anything on the Sabbath. And they're like, oh, oh, this manna stuff's good, but what about the protein, God? I think I said last week, you know, my macros, I'm never going to meet my macros today if you don't give me some protein. God's like, all right, give, give him some quail. And then after the manna starts, after the quails, they're like, oh, this is good, I guess. I mean, it's manna and it's quail. It's doing its job. But you know what would be really good? Something to wash this down. Did you bring us out here to die of thirst in this wilderness? God's like, oh, okay, Moses, go hit a rock. And God brings water forth from a rock. You see, that's the thing, is that God's responses to this, as we see God's grace 
the, the verses will be up here in a minute where you can follow along with these, but his grace in the times of their response is something that just completely and totally is beyond my comprehension as to how he could possibly do this. Because I made the statement last week, and, and I know I'm covering some of the same material. We're going a little bit deeper into it than what I covered last week. I do not see how God did not kill every one of them in this moment. I really don't. And this is just another good example of why it's very beneficial that he is God and I'm not. Oh, oh you're hungry, are you? And then you keep giving, you keep showing grace, you keep extending mercy, you keep doing all of these things, and all that happens is this moaning, this grumbling, this complaining. And we see God being so gracious, being so merciful to these people that he had brought out. Can I submit to you guys that we're the same today? We're the same today, that God provides for us. How many of you, and, and I would like to see a show of hands on, on this one, how many of you are far blessed by God more than you deserve? Each and every one of us. But here's an epidemic that I think happens in Christianity, is that we focus far more on what we don't have or what God hasn't done rather than what he has blessed us with or what he has done in our lives. Amen? I know I'm guilty of it. Our perspective is skewed. It's like we have this mentality that we only need to look at the things we don't have. Or here's the even the, the harder one to swallow is when somebody else gets a blessing that you've been praying for. When God gives something to someone else and you don't have it. And then we have this issue with, well, the Scripture says that I need to rejoice with them. Having a really hard time with that. Because, God, it isn't fair. If God moves us, if God asks us to do something, if he takes us somewhere, if we end up doing something that's uncomfortable. By the way, just side note, how many times in your life has God ever asked you to do something? And you know that without a doubt that it's God. How many times has he ever asked you to do something that it's been comfortable Not many. But see, we have this same tendency. And we have to understand that we stand in the exact same spot that the Israelites did. We have been freed from our bondage. For whom the Son has set free is free indeed. From our spiritual oppression, from the sin, from this curse was upon us in Jesus Christ. He has set us free in a moment, in an instant. That bondage that we were in, we're set free from. But I stand before you, someone who's been saved for over 30 years, but I'm still in the process of getting that bondage out of me. I was freed from it in an instant. But to get it out of my life, to get it out of my heart, and the same is true with you, it is a process. You ever feel like you're in a wilderness? 
Like you're in a really dry spot. Like you don't understand why you're there. There doesn't seem to be any meaning there. And now we've covered in here before that there are times when we, we enter into self-imposed wilderness experiences. You know, by our own fleshly desires, by our own human stupidity. I'm sorry, Chad, I'll put a quarter in your... His kids are like the stupid police, all right? All right. You say that, and they're like, no, no, mm-mm. But we wind up there because of our own doings and our own vices. But there are times that God purposefully takes us into the wilderness. We see this with the children of Israel. James covered it, that it was God that led us there. In Israel, Thomas talked about it too, that God took them into the wilderness. He didn't take them north. He didn't take them south. Why? Because there were all kinds of enemies in those directions that God knew that the people of Israel were not strong enough to face. You see, the one thing that the, all the other people on that flight were doing that I wasn't doing as I was panicking is they were trusting in the one who was piloting the plane. And I wasn't. And see, even in moments of where God leads us into the wilderness, when it goes beyond our control, then we find ourselves in this place of where faith and doubt, there's a battle that takes place there. This trust that we have in Jesus or the lack thereof begins to become evident. I've done it far too many times in my life. Know that God has led me somewhere and he's working things out, but maybe I don't like the way they're working out and I begin to go, all right, I'm just going to take it from here. I don't necessarily like the direction that this is going, so God, take a break. I got this. And it <laughs> ends terribly every time. So we see that our initial response in our flesh, in this, in this captivity, in this oppression, in this bondage being flushed out of our system, what we find is our natural response to a wilderness situation is to grumble, is to complain, is to see everything that we don't like and focus on everything that's going wrong. But thankfully, we still have a God who is gracious to us. And that's good news for each and every one of us in here because we are all grumblers. We are all complainers. We're all murmurers. We all have that tendency. Some of us may outlast others. I'm telling you, if the turbulence would have gotten much worse on that flight, I'd have been surrounded by a bunch of Israelites. But praise God, he is still gracious to us. He still has mercy on us. And he still provides for us even when we are absolutely unworthy of him to do so. So those are our initial responses 
to a wilderness situation. I want to ask you to turn to the Gospel of Matthew. I want to read a section out of chapter 4. And we're going to look at the perfect example. What is the perfect example for us? And this is a wilderness that was appointed by God. This experience was a wilderness that was God's will. Verse 1 out of Matthew chapter 4. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone." Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him. And behold, angels came and were ministering to him. We see Jesus here, the very Son of God, be led by God into a wilderness situation. Now, if Jesus, who was perfect, if Jesus, who was the Son of God, if Jesus, who was God himself, if he... If it's ordained by God for him to experience a wilderness, then why would we think any differently for ourselves? There are times that God will lead us into wilderness situations, dry, dark times. And it's important for us to keep our faith in him, our trust in him, because there's a reason that you're there. So hear me clearly this morning. If you are in a wilderness situation right now, God has you there for a reason. Do not let doubt and fear and worry and anxiety consume you because those are the tools of the enemy that he wants to use against you to keep you from getting what God has for you in that time. Amen? Keep your focus on Christ. Now, we say that, and I understand that, oh, just keep my focus on Christ. Thanks. That helps. It's easier said than done, right? So I think that there's five things that we can take from this scripture, this passage that we just read, and that we can learn some lessons from this. And the first one is, is that the Bible, God's word, can be used in the wrong way. It can be used in the wrong way. So it can be used to tempt us. It can be used to pull us away. That's why it's so important. I'm sorry, I got ahead of myself. We can be tempted to do a good thing. Spoiler alert, there may be something coming that says that his word can be used in the wrong way. But anyhow, we can be tempted to do a good thing. How many of you know that 
a good thing at the wrong time or in the wrong way doesn't mean that you're doing the right thing. Because what Jesus was doing here, at the last one especially, says, if you will just bow down and worship me, then all of these kingdoms, I'll give you everything if you'll just worship me. Jesus came with that purpose, right? To reclaim the kingdom, reclaim the king's domain. But Jesus knew that he had to do it via a cross. He had to do it via a painful death. He knew he had to do it through suffering. It would have been much easier for him to look and say, oh, this is much, this is much simpler. <clears throat> you mean I can spare the death? I can spare the torture? I can spare all the pain? Sure. And to be honest, that would have been something that I would have probably done. And I think most of us would in here as well. It's like, oh, you mean there's an easy way out of this? Sure, I'll take it. But there's ways that we can do a good thing with the wrong motives, and it's no longer good. It's no longer right. It's no longer the will of God. The next thing that we see in this is that temptation is personal. Temptation is personal. Jesus was hungry. Jesus was thirsty. And the enemy knew that. The devil knew that. And he tempted him to turn these, these stones into bread. You see, the enemy will take what is going on in your life and he will make it very personal to you. It'd be, temptation would be a whole lot easier if it was just kind of some kind of cookie-cutter temptation that all of us faced, and we faced the exact same thing at the exact same time. But temptation is very personal and can pull you away from God. The next thing that we see is that his, his word can be misused to tempt us. Told you. Satan was taking this scripture and he was pulling it out of context. And he was trying to tempt the Savior with the word. How did the Savior respond? How did Jesus respond to the word taken out of context? He responded with the word in context, right? And you'll hear that all the, uh, quite frequently from us, is that how important that context is in our scripture, in our understanding, in our teaching, in our preaching, in our reading, in our instruction. And this is why, because I think we've all seen it, but scripture can be misused. The next thing is that knowing the word helps us resist against temptation. Every temptation that's recorded here in this wilderness experience, Jesus combats and resists it with the word of God. Folks, that's one of the reasons that this is so important to your life. And not only having one of these, but reading one of these. And not just reading one of these, but putting it to memory. Memorize this thing. Because you're not always going to be able to have a Gideon following you around and go, oh, here it is. You're not always going to have one in your pocket to be able to come back to, well, I guess you have your phone. But anyhow, those things are the devil, anyhow. But anyhow, don't, counter, don't contradict yourself in the middle of your message. Okay. It's important to have this, hide it in 
your heart so that when the enemy comes against you, you can use it. And the last thing this morning, Satan will flee when we resist. When we resist with the Word of God, Satan will flee. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So I want to go back to that Timothy Keller quote again. And I want you to understand that as a follower of Jesus Christ, you have been freed from your spiritual bondage. You've been freed from the penalty of sin and death. That hold that sin had over you, you are now freed from it. But each and every one of us face this process of the bondage coming out of us is a process. I'm going to ask the praise team if they would to come back to the stage this morning. When you face wilderness situations, approach them as Jesus did. Rely on the Spirit. Rely on God. Don't let your trust be shaken. Don't let the fact that you've lost control derail you. Don't let worry, anxiety, don't let this consume you, this doubt, this fear. Now, we all experience them, and they're all real. And we're not saying that they're not. But what we understand is that we have someone greater. Because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Amen?